This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners, Malcolm here. And on today's episode, we're talking taxes. And even though taxes really are one of my favorite topics in the whole wide world, I am by no means an expert when it comes to the tax implications of working abroad as an American citizen. So I thought I'd call up someone who does know that world very well, if I might add, to have a conversation. Uh, If you've ever wondered what it would be like to work overseas, or maybe you're even in the middle of mulling over an offer right now, or maybe you're just a tax nerd like I am. Uh, Either way, this episode is for you. On today's show, I'll be speaking with international tax expert Katrina Haynes, discussing some of the key things you need to know about taxes as an expat. Katrina initially spent time as a senior tax manager at a couple of big four accounting firms and a couple of Fortune 500 companies as well. Then she decided to take all of that experience and founded Haynes & Associates, where she provides tax consulting and tax prep specifically to expats and foreign nationals. So you're definitely in for a treat. So with that brief introduction, welcome Katrina Haynes to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here today. I can tell it's coming through. Um, And it's probably (laughs) because you literally love taxes um, more even than I, when I called myself a tax nerd, like I, I, I think your excitement is at, is at like a level 12 and I'd consider myself maybe like a seven. Um, so okay. hopefully between the two of us, we can help make something <laughs> as uh, humdrum as taxes not seem like so much of a chore. So uh, I, before we get started into any of the important stuff, or I shouldn't say important, any of the the meaty pieces that we have set up for this. I breezed through your resume quite a bit uh, while I was introducing you. What did I miss? So I think I think you were pretty thorough. Um, I did start my career and in big four and I spent probably the majority of my career there. But I also had some experience. um, I've been in expat taxation and foreign national taxation from the beginning. And so for me to be a good client service provider, I felt that it was best to understand what my clients' needs were. So I did leave 
to run a global mobility program for a pharmaceutical company for us for a period of time. And then also working for, um, I call it the best non-alcoholic beverage company in the world as their global mobility tax manager, which allowed me to get a more global perspective of taxation when I had historically only been looking at the U.S. side. So those were the only other two things. And it really does help me to serve my clients better because I understand the complexities, not only of U.S. taxation, but also global taxation, and then what their needs are as it relates to managing these populations. Okay. See, so that was, you know, a couple of crucial pieces to explain why you are the person who knows this better than most, I would say. Um, but so before we get too much into the nitty gritty, I want to start surface level because I use the term expat a couple of times and you maybe even have uh, said it a couple of times already. We're talking about an expatriate. I know that another side of your expertise is with foreign nationals. Can you kind of run us through the difference between being an expatriate and a foreign national? Absolutely. So an expatriate, expatriate is a general term that means anyone living and working outside of their home country. When we as U.S. people are talking about expatriates, we're talking about U.S. citizens and uh, green card holders. And that's important because if you are a U.S. citizen or you are a U.S. green card holder, you are subject to U.S. income tax on your worldwide income, even if you are not living and working in the United States during the year. So for them as an expat, I hear people all the time say, oh, you know, I'm going to move to Dubai and I won't have to pay taxes. Well, as long as you're a U.S. citizen or a green card holder, you are going to have to pay taxes. Plus, Dubai has a value out of tax. It's insane. It's, it's not you aren't going to pay and an, file an income tax return, but you're going to pay. For foreign nationals, however, this is when we're talking about non-U.S. citizens, non-green card holders that are living in the United States. And so the tax laws vary a little bit as far as what you can do when it relates to expats and when it, as it relates to foreign nationals, mo mostly because there is a double taxation that can occur. If I'm a U.S. citizen and I'm living and working in Italy, then Italy is going to want to tax my worldwide income. The U.S. is going to want to tax my worldwide income. And then same if I'm a foreign national from Italy into the U.S., I may have to deal with the same thing. Everybody wants to get paid. <laughs> Everybody does so get paid. <laughs> if I took anything from what you just said, it's the fact that uh, as long as you plan to hold on to that blue passport, you are mm -hmm. going to have to file an income tax return here in the United States, no matter where else you're living at the time you're earning a living. So one thing that I do know uh, on this subject is that there are a number of countries who've enacted treaties to help prevent their citizens from being taxed twice uh, on income earned in a foreign country. You refer to it as double taxation. But mm -hmm. as is the case with most things embedded in the U.S. tax code, there's a few boxes that have to be checked in order for you to qualify. So if you don't know to look for it, then, you know, sorry for you. So, for instance, you have to be outside of the U.S. for a certain number of days and pass a residency test. From my understanding, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm sure. But then also receiving the special tax treatment, as I mentioned, isn't automatic. You've actually got to do a few things to trigger it. Am I right or wrong in that? Understand. You're correct. So there's a couple of things, though, that so when we're talking about tax treaties, we're talking about foreign nationals. So non-U.S. citizens, non-green card holders that are living and working or otherwise have an income tax um, tie to the U.S., whether it be they're investing in rental property or they've got 
um, a business that they're operating in the U.S. For us as U.S. people, the treaty doesn't apply on our U.S. return. So there's two different types of taxation that we're talking about. There's the domicile basis and there's the tax home basis. The majority of the countries in the world tax on the tax home basis, meaning that if I'm in the U.K. and I'm a U.K. citizen, if I leave the U.K. and have no income there, I don't have to file a tax return anymore. The U.S. is like, it's like your crazy ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. It's like, no, we're going to be together, <laughs> okay? You <laughs> thought you were leaving, but no, you're going to pay the tax. You're going to pay it regardless. And like you said, as long as you have that blue passport, and there's actually a specific way you have to renounce your citizenship, and even then the IRS can, can hold on to you for another 10 years through the, what's called the expatriation process. There's actually a whole group of taxpayers out there now. They call themselves Accidental Americans. And a lot of them are taxpayers that have received citizenship through their parents or it, it happened as a baby and they may not even have known they were citizens or they were born here. I mean, literally, they were born here on a layover, on a flight or something. And then now they're tied to the U.S. for the rest of their lives. Some of them don't even speak English. Um, so they don't even know where to go to find how to file a tax return. And the IRS says, well, it doesn't matter. You need to figure it out because you owe tax on your worldwide income. And I've had some clients where they've since passed away and we realized you left when you were 18, but you had a worldwide tax um, filing requirement that you never wow. adhered to. So now the IRS is coming after your estate and you haven't been here since you were 18 years old. The IRS, I mean, just to, to not that anybody needs convincing how much of a bully the IRS is. Right. But like the fact that there's a thing written into the tax code called a kitty tax where yeah. like if my infant daughter earns too much income in any given year because however she went out and found part-time work then mm -hmm. like the irs is coming for that money like the fact that that exists in our tax code tells you everything you need to know about their willingness to come find you anywhere around the world so like i mean nobody needs to be convinced i guess is my point that the irs <laughs> yes. is serious when it comes to coming and finding that money but I believe there's two key laws that the IRS did put in place to help you avoid being taxed twice uh, on income earned outside of the U.S. Can you walk us through what those two key exclusions are? Yes. Yes. So um, I and I want to go back to my the last question. It's yep. possible for you to use the income tax treaties as a U.S. person, but not on your U.S. return. So you have the way that the treaties are written you have to be a, it says you have to be a resident of one contracting state or a citizen or a national of one contracting state living in the other contracting state to get the benefits of the treaty. And it's going to apply in your host location. So if I'm a U.S. person living in Italy, the U.S. Italian income tax treaty is going to apply to getting me benefits and relief from double taxation in Italy, not in the U.S. The U.S., again, crazy ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, is going <laughs> to hold on to you, but you're going to get the benefit in the other country. Now, what the U.S. does do, what the IRS does allow, there's two different ways to duplicate that, that double taxation because as a U.S. expat, you can't use the income tax treaty on that U.S. return. The first is the foreign earned income exclusion, which allows you to exclude an amount of money from taxation. For 2020, I believe it's $107,600 that you're able to exclude plus your housing expenses off of any income as long as you were either outside of the U.S., physically present outside of the U.S. for 330 out of any 365-day period, or if you became a bona fide tax resident 
of another country for a calendar year. So January 1st through December 31st. So the first test, you have to just be gone. The second Mm -hmm. test, you have to be a tax resident. Now, you can be a tax resident of a country that doesn't have an income tax. So if you do decide to move to Dubai, the United Arab Emirates has the first right of taxation because you're the tax resident there. So you can take advantage of the exclusion if you're living in a country that doesn't have an income tax like United Arab Emirates or Trinidad and Tobago. In my mind, it's because the IRS's, the IRS's thought process is you're still paying a tax. You're still paying value-added tax. You might have sales tax. You might have, you're still paying tax. They just don't have an individual income tax regime that's, that's equivalent to ours. But as a tax resident, if they change that tomorrow, you're subject to tax and that income is subject to tax. Hmm. So that's the first one, the foreign earned income exclusion. The well, second is the foreign, oh, go ahead. So, so hang on a second. So as far mm-hmm. as the foreign earned income exclusion, you mentioned the fact that it, it has a cap on it. I, I, I forget mm-hmm. the 2020 number, but I did write down the 2021 number, which is mm-hmm. 108,700. You just gave us mm-hmm. 2020. That may sound like a lot of money to a lot of people, but for folks who are fortunate enough to work for a company that wants to send you abroad, uh, especially for folks who listen to this podcast, a number of them are tech executives in technology. That's not a huge amount of your total compensation, right? So we're not talking about a way that you can completely eliminate all of the income that you made working in another country. We're talking about a slice of that income. It is the most common way from my understanding that uh, expats get to reduce uh, or eliminate some of their U.S. tax liability. But still, like I said, if you're a person who makes, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, that hundred eight thousand, hundred nine thousand isn't going to get you all the way. So I just think that's important to right. point out for anybody who's thinking, oh, well, it'll be offset dollar for dollar. And then, you know, I can call it a day. But sorry, you were on a roll and I cut you off. So no, um, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're fine. I also want to mention since you're since you're talking about international assignments, Mm-hmm. If you're on an international assignment, everything that's paid either to you or on your behalf becomes taxable as compensation. So I used to tell people when I was sending people out, expect your W-2 to triple or quadruple when you're on an assignment. Because hmm. if you were to send me, I, I mean, I've been, I've lived on assignment in India. Okay. If you were to send me to India, of course, the cost of living is lower, but because of the culture in India, you are required to employ a certain number of people. So if you make a certain amount of money, you're expected to have a housekeeper, you're expected to have a driver, you're, ex- you're expected to have all of these people to give into the economy, right? So if you are paying me what I'm getting paid in the U.S. and you're expecting me to find housing equivalent to my U.S. housing, you're expecting me to employ a bunch of people, you're expecting me to buy a car and all this other stuff, plus pay tax in India, plus pay tax on my worldwide income in the U.S., I'm going to say, no, thank you. You you can save that for somebody else, right? But what companies will do then is say, you know what, we'll cover that. We'll cover your driver. We'll cover your, your housekeeper. We'll cover your housing. We'll provide you with six, eight trips home, four trips home. I don't want to get companies in trouble. Um, but, you know, two or three <laughs> trips home every year, we're going to, you know, we'll provide you with a cost of living allowance or a hardship allowance if you're going to like an Iran or you're going to, you know, a Sudan or something like that. All of that stuff becomes taxable to you, even if that money never hits your hand. If you are living in corporate housing, 
then the fair market value of that corporate housing becomes taxable to you as compensation. So mm. now if I was making $200,000 and my assignment allowances are $200,000, I'm only going to get a hundred or so thousand of that in exclusion. And that's provided that I don't have any U.S. days in the U.S., work days. So for example, mm-hmm. let's say you're, you're working for it. Let's say you're working for Facebook. I have a couple friends that work for Facebook. And you got to come back to California for two, three weeks every year for um, some sort of team meeting. Well, those days aren't foreign source days. Even if you're paid by a foreign employer, those are U.S. source days. They don't qualify for the exclusion. Okay? They don't qualify for the foreign tax credit. So you really, it's really important to, um, these are little little nuances of of the code, but to your point, that $100,000 is not going to do much for you. Now, I do want to say also that you can go over that amount with your housing expense. So um, there's there, the IRS has a base threshold, and then there's a maximum that varies by location. So if if I made $200,000 and I have an additional $50,000 of housing, then it's possible that I can take over that $107,000 or so by adding that housing exclusion on top of it, as long as I have enough foreign source income to do that. Also, for married couples, if you're both working on assignment, then you can both get that maximum amount. You just can't duplicate the housing unless for some reason you're legitimately living in two different locations. So if you're married and one of you is on assignment in Portugal and the other one's on assignment in Italy, clearly you can't live in the same house. So you could have two housing expenses. But if you're in Switzerland and Germany and you're both living in Germany and just driving back and forth, then you can only use the housing expenses one time. So what I'm gathering also as I'm talking to you about this, and I mean, I, I, like I said, I've scratched the surface as far as the, the tax code is concerned for expats, but obviously I have nowhere near the same uh, level of understanding as you. But what I'm gathering from, from talking to you just this short amount of time is that if I'm a person who's considering accepting uh, such an assignment, it would be a really good idea to speak to an accountant who's knowledgeable knowledgeable, excuse me, about those things while negotiating the compensation package, simply because there's a few things in there that I'm not going to know are common unless I'm talking to someone who's also dealt with, you know, 15, 20, 50 clients who also went and took assignment in India, for example, and knows exactly how uh, those things work to be able to request X amount of housing allowance to use up the full housing exclusion versus having it come in, you know, regular salary or whatever the the mix is that you want to use. It sounds like it's really important to have somebody who's been there, done that, that you can talk to in the middle of negotiation to know which levers to ask to pull to benefit yourself the most on the backside of this thing when it comes time to uh, talk to the IRS. Absolutely. And if and to most companies credit, they will provide you with a comprehensive package which normally includes tax return preparation. Mm -hmm. With that being said, so when I was working for the best non-alcoholic beverage company in the world, you get people that are from all over the world Mm -hmm. and they have trailing issues. And if you haven't been on assignment in five years, the company's not going to pay you for you to get your tax returns done. So there may be issues as a result. So for example, prime example, you you receive a bonus. Your bonus is not taxable to you on the day you receive it, it's taxable based on the period that you earned it, almost like a stock option. Hmm. Okay. So if I was on an international assignment here and then I come back and I get paid while I'm in the U.S., 
that a portion of that income is related to the country I was in when I was on the international assignment. So if I'm no longer covered under the program, or if there is no program, I still have a foreign tax return that may need to get done. I, I have got foreign tax credit issues. I've got all kinds of stuff. So most companies will provide that support. The issue is if you're the first person <laughs> and they and they don't know what you're going to need and you don't know yeah. what you need. And so, I mean, exactly. And that is not a good situation to be in. I had one client um, who told me he happened to have five kids. He and his wife were um, they were they were doctors and they were overseas and they were saying, we can't buy bread. We got five little kids. They had five kids under <laughs> like seven. And they said, we spend so much money on bread. What we're getting is not enough. But the company didn't know because it was the first time. They had never, they'd only sent single people. They'd never sent families. They never thought about the cost of groceries. They thought about the cost of housing and car and things like that. But they didn't, th and even in most, the U.S. is, is a country of excess. Everything is huge. Sure. Finding a car overseas that fits five <laughs> people, if you're in Singapore, you're not getting a car. You're getting a bike. Or you're getting a public transportation. So the things that we as U.S. people are so used to having, just being able to find the equivalent overseas, sometimes it's not possible. So it's definitely important to know what to ask for if you're the first person, because not only can you create an issue for yourself personally, the company can create an issue for themselves where they've created an entire separate legal entity just by having you working somewhere and then now that entity is subject to tax um, a portion of their U.S. earnings. So it, it's definitely important for you specifically, but also if you're trying to talk to your employer, it's beneficial for them, too, to get it set up right before you go, because if not, it could cost them on the back end as well. So I probably already know the answer based on everything you just shared with us um, about the complexities of the way the tax code treats folks earning income outside of the U.S. But any idea specifically why? expats receive an automatic filing extension every year? Yes, actually, um, a lot of times it's just because they can't settle their foreign tax situation by April mm -hmm. 15th. So okay. if let's say you're in another country where they're on a calendar year for taxation as well, then you would be filing that foreign return simultaneous with the U.S. return. And if you're going to take advantage of the foreign tax credit, then you wouldn't know how much creditable tax you would even have. But hmm. the majority of countries, they don't, you don't file most tax returns until over the summer, hence the June 15th deadline. So, um, so that, mm -hmm. go ahead. So I was going to ask then why states haven't followed suit, right? States, if I understand correctly, still require you to file by April 15th. Any idea why that hasn't become a little more uniform? Well, states are all over the place. I don't know. I, do, I personally don't take advantage of the June 15th extension so much just because the October 15th extension is available. So I normally <laughs> okay. just default to the October 15th extension and, um, and make sure that my states are extended as well for that particular reason. I don't want to have to file a state extension when I didn't have to file a federal extension. I would rather just extend it all at the same time. I also want to point out that a lot of states don't follow the same rules and regulations for the expat taxation. And so um, I actually publish a guide that looks at the state by state differences from the federal as it relates to the foreign earned income exclusion, the foreign tax credit, what visa statuses are impacted 
is it a domicile state or is it a, is a, a state that taxes on residency? Meaning that not only the, is the is the government, the IRS, that crazy ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, but also that state is too. So we were talking about California. That's one of those situations where you may leave and unless you establish residency in another U.S. state, you cannot break your ties there. Hmm. So you mentioned, I'm going to, I'm turn the ship a little bit here because you, you mentioned something that I wanted to make sure I came back to, which was kids, right? You mentioned the family that's got, I don't know if you said five kids or they're a family of five, but uh, children yes. involved in the equation period, right? Can I still use the mm -hmm. child tax credit, uh, the the standard, you know, uh, child tax credit from the, the Fed if I'm an expat, but my kids are U.S. citizens? As long as they have a U.S. social security number, or um, I believe you can use it if you have an ITIN, which is an individual taxpayer identification number. But if they're U.S. citizens, they would have a social security number. So, mm -hmm. yes, you would be able to take advantage of the child tax credit, even if you're not in the United States. OK, good to know. I was I was concerned that I would lose that if I said, you know, not that it's a huge deal, but it's I mean, a decent amount. Right. A couple thousand well, dollars per kid. And depending on what the Biden administration manages to to pull through, it could be considerably right. more than that. Right. Well, and, so, and keep in mind that even if you're an expat, even if you're not in the U.S., the IRS treats you like you're here. So you get all the benefits, credits, deductions, and exclusions, and so on and so forth as if you were still in the U.S., because that's that benefit of the long arm of taxation. That's the one benefit we get is we don't lose anything. We just have that, that's more of what it, I immediately so to speak, as far as taxation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we don't I'm lose glad anything. glad to know then we that just I was, get more tax. I was being a little too uh, pessimistic there. I just assumed that uh, the IRS was all about taking um, and not, not yeah, well, giving. But yeah. let's talk for a second about banking, right? So if I'm living in a foreign country, then I'm also maybe needing to get access to funds in foreign dollars and maybe want to jump into the foreign banking system. And I know the American government doesn't take too kindly to American citizens having bank accounts outside of the country, right? They are always concerned about uh, laundering money and, and fraud and tax evasion and everything else. But am I allowed to open up a foreign bank account while I'm working in another country? Absolutely. The IRS doesn't have an issue with us having foreign bank accounts or financial accounts or investment accounts. The issue is, are you reporting that income back to the United States? That's hmm. the thing. It's not you having it. They don't care because you're you having you holding money in another country or another currency. That doesn't create the taxable event. The taxable event is when the income is earned. But nice. the perception is if you are hiding money from me, what else are you hiding? So, and you're, what you're talking about is there's a specific form, a it's a disclosure form only. There's no tax calculated called the Report of Foreign Bank Accounts form. Uh, it's actually FinCEN, fi the Financial Crime Enforcement Network's Form 114. Mm -hmm. And FinCEN is a separate division of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. So it's like a sister entity to the Internal Revenue Service. You have to disclose all of your bank, foreign financial, and investment accounts with them and they kind of cross-reference it with whether or not you've actually reported any income on the U.S. return. So say, for example, I have a bank account overseas that's $100,000 in year one, 
in year two, it's $110,000. That allows them to look for that $10,000 adjustment anywhere. Where did that extra $10,000 come from? Was, was it interest? Hmm. Did you have 10,000? You know, did you have that $10,000 in UBS bank somewhere else? Did you, you know, it, it allows them to see the movement of the funds. Or did you not report that bank account at all? And where U.S. taxpayers in particular have to be careful is when, when I started years and years ago, we didn't have any way, we, the IRS, didn't have any way to confirm this. It was all based on whatever the taxpayer said, that voluntary honor system. I'm expecting you to tell me the truth, that, you know, kind of the golden rule of taxation, right? But you know that doesn't work. So <laughs> the IRS, uh, working with the U.S. Department of the Treasury, came up with these FATCA tax regulations, the Foreign Account Tax uh, Compliance Act, which basically created a system whereby in multiple jurisdictions, I think it's like 114 different countries, the IRS has the ability to see what you're doing in those bank accounts just as if you were doing it in the U.S. So mm. what happens is when you go overseas, so a friend of mine, a good friend of mine is from the Bahamas. She goes to the Bahamas. She's, she's a U.S. citizen, naturalized mm. citizen. She goes to open up a bank account for her and her mom. And the first question they ask is, what's your U.S. Social Security number? And she said she was taken aback. And I said, that's because they are going to report all of your transactions, even though she was just being signatory over to her mom's account. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. They're going to report all of those transactions back to the U.S. They're going to confirm. They're going to look to see if you filed that FBAR. They're going to look to see if you've reported any earnings on your U.S. tax return. And if not, they've created an audit trail to find you. And again, it's if you're hiding this, what else are you hiding? And they I have know started, the IRS. Man. <laughs> I know the IRS lobs a pretty hefty penalty too on any accounts that aren't declared with the treasury. Like it seems like it's very yeah. easy to get yourself in trouble there. Yeah. It's fit the, there's a compliance penalty, I believe of uh, $10,000 or so. And then there's a penalty, um, a, a criminal component that's, well, no, there's a, a compliance penalty of $10,000, but then they mm -hmm. can take up to 50,000, 50%, excuse me, of the balance of the bank account. And they are Yikes. doing that. Plus five years in federal prison, plus additional criminal penalty. Plus, even if they don't push it that far, like how long are you going to be under a microscope thereafter? Right? Like they're how many pushing more it that years far. will they? Wow. They wow. Okay. are pushing it that far. I see articles every single day where regular people that are, you know, 50, 51. I, I mean, I, I, I teach a class on this. You know, plastic surgeon goes to Dubai to do some, you know, some surgery for one of the, you know, members of the royal family. They put the money in a bank account in Dubai because it was easier. He transfers it back to the U.S. The account was only open for three months. He didn't report it. He's serving a year and a day. We've got wow. another guy from, um, I believe he was from Mexico. He he had some sales between same thing between the U.S. He was in California and Mexico. He didn't report the fact that he had a Mexican bank account, again, just to transfer the money back in the U.S. He's getting a year. Um, this guy was 80-something years old and opened a Swiss bank account with 20 bucks and forgot about it, serving years and years and years. I mean, it's, it's, wow. they are locking people up for this stuff. And it's a disclosure form. You don't even have to pay any tax. <laughs> just report it. But if you don't know, then how yeah. can you do that? Yeah, I mean, those sound like all clerical things, right? Like not even anything mischievous, at least on the surface. And still just for not knowing the rules, you're, you're getting, you know, not a slap on the wrist. It's, it's no. a significant, uh, uh, penalty. Jeez. So yeah. if I'm taking anything from this, it's when you go overseas, don't, 
uh, open any bank accounts, take as much cash as you're going to need to live on for however long <laughs> you're there. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I would say just di- just report it. All you have to do is report. The, the form is so simple. It, every time I see somebody go to prison for this, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's yeah. bank account name, bank account number, how much was in the account. Or you can check a box that says, I don't know. That's it. That's all. <laughs> so let's uh let's turn turn the corner a little bit um really quickly and talk about retirement can sure. i still contribute to my 401k if i'm working outside of the u.s it depends it depends on the how you're employed so if i'm mm-hmm. a u.s person on an international assignment from a u.s company and i remain on u.s payroll then you can continue to contribute because you're still in the u.s benefit plan system if you are a um a domestic or a local hire of even if it's the same entity. So let's say, for example, if I go and I start an accounting firm in India mm-hmm. and um, but it's Indian, it's an Indian based entity, then because of the way Internal Revenue Code Section 401k is written, I most likely won't be able to have a, a qualifying plan. But you cannot contribute to your 401k outside of a U.S. based employer. Okay, so I've got to figure out other means to Mm -hmm. get those dollars into those savings accounts for the years that I know that I'm going to be away. And so that's also something to have a conversation with your employer about. And I've seen a lot of different um, international assignment design where Mm -hmm. you can where you can create something like that. So, for example, um, you got to be careful with 401k plans in particular, because in some situations you cannot have. Um, you you cannot have certain people participate in the plan or it'll they call it it'll bust the plan and now it's not a qualifying plan it's not a 401k and now everything mm-hmm. you put in it is subject to tax right so there are some ways where you can actually create almost like a shell company and and create I'm going to put in air quotes because it could be something as, as simple as setting up a separate LLC just for your international employees just so you can run benefits uh, US benefits for them even if they're getting paid domestically in mm. the local jurisdiction. I see. To keep them from ruining it for yes. for everybody else yes. and forcing a lot exactly. of distributions. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So on the same on the same note though, uh social security. If I'm not mm-hmm. eligible, right, for social security because will I still have to contribute to social security, I guess is my first question. Uh yes and or no. Well, yes or no. Okay. So <laughs> there's a couple different ways that this is never yes. easy. And yeah, it, it, it depends. It's the answer you always tell people when they ask you questions. So if you are employed by a U.S. employer, so I'm on an international assignment for my U.S. employer and I'm, I remain on a U.S. payroll, then they are required to withhold and remit U.S. Social Security for me. Now, keep in mind, again, if you're on an international assignment, all of those allowances are also going to be subject to Social Security as well. So if they are not covering you under some sort of tax equalization or tax protection, then you might want to ask for it. Because even if you're not paying federal or state, or if there is no state, that mm-hmm. that additional FICA tax could hurt. So, so am it's, I, it's, mm-hmm. am I eligible for social security benefits then, even if I decided to stay in the country where I'm stationed when it's time for me to retire? So if we have what's called a U.S. totalization agreement, so let's say I'm going to the U.K., and I don't have my 40 quarters um, mm-hmm. of employment, but I go to the UK and let's say I work for two years. I still don't have my 40 quarters. So say I have like eight years in, in total, 
but I struck it rich, but I still want to withdraw from the U.S. Social Security program. I'm able to take, because we have what's called a totalization agreement, which is basically a U.S. and U.K. or whatever country, social tax, it's a separate from a treaty. So if you look at an income tax treaty, there's a, to, there's a social security clause, but that determines who gets to tax the social security benefits. A totalization agreement governs who you have to pay social tax to in the event that you are required to pay social tax in multiple jurisdictions. So again, if I'm on a U.S. payroll, the U.S. is going to require I pay social tax. If I'm working in the U.K., then they're going to require that I totalization comes in, agreement comes in and says, no, you're only required to pay social tax in one of the other jurisdictions. So if I'm a dependent worker and I'm coming from a U.S. employer, I would pay social tax then. If there, if I'm an independent worker, so I'm self-employed, then I would pay social tax where I'm physically sitting. So if I'm self-employed, I would owe social tax in the UK, but I would be exempt from social tax in the US. So if I'm, in, say I have a, I'm a single member LLC and I'm filing a Schedule C, then I would be able to exempt my earnings from US self-employment tax as long as I get what's called a certificate of coverage, which is just a letter from the Social Security Administration saying so-and-so is paying into this jurisdiction so they're exempt from the other jurisdiction so, so it sounds or, like i was gonna say it sounds like that's another one of those things that it's a really good idea <laughs> to have planned out well in advance rather than to get yeah. there and say this is what we're doing and we'll just figure out how to make it work um because yeah. you know you want to make sure that if you've paid into the system for even 20 years here in the states uh you're at least getting those benefits back out you know once it's time to to claim them. But if you don't know until you've decided to, to hold up, you know, wherever that place is, it, it may be mm -hmm. too late to do anything about it. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm glad, you know, um, cause <laughs> goodness, so, so my exactly. last question that I have, this is one I love to ask all of my guests. It's not a tax related question. So you can actually turn your brain off for a second. Cause <laughs> my God, you've got a lot stored in there. Um, so let's say you never discussed, never discovered your passion for taxes, right? I know that's hard for you to imagine, but let's just say hypothetically for a second, um, you never discovered taxes as, as your passion, but money was not a decision in your fact. Money was not a factor in your decision at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? I would be writing short stories. Hmm. That is okay. what I wanted to do until I was a junior in high school. And I met a very unfortunate um, English teacher who hated I always say she hated the way I wrote my name on a piece of paper. She hated everything I wrote. <laughs> and um, I decided at that point that um, I did not want to eat based on other people's opinions of me. Um, and I decided I wanted to be in a technical position. And I, always, I had been doing my own taxes since I was 12 years old. My dad made me get a job at 12. And um, at this <laughs> at this point, I, um, you know, back then you 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 couldn't download the forms or e-file. You had to go to the library and they had rows and rows of books and booklets and forms. And he would just he came back. He gave me a W-2 and a form 1040 easy and a filing booklet. And he said, you need to learn how to figure this out. So um, I'll never forget. I did my first tax return then. And I got back $3. It was supposed to be $3.14, but they don't give you the cents. So I got back $3 and I was really <laughs> excited about it. 
<laughs> so when I decided, when I had my career change kind of aha moment in high school, I said, well, let me look into this accounting thing. And I was able to take some accounting classes in high school, really liked it. And, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I am very, very glad uh, on your behalf and on your client's behalf that it did work out for you the way it did. Um, something to be said for serendipity. Yeah. Well, this was great. Um, I, I can't believe it, but this has been, you know, the entire uh, episode. I'm like learning as I'm going and talking to you about this. So like, I can't believe uh, it's over. But where can people find you if they want more Katrina after this? Absolutely. Um, you can follow me. Well, I would say go to my website, www.haineshelp.com. Um, also on Facebook at Haynes Help, on Instagram as Haynes and Associates, and check out my YouTube channel, Haynes and Associates. There's a lot of um, snippets from some of the classes I teach on different expat tax issues. If you have a question or you feel like you're going on an assignment or you feel like your assignment may not be what you think it should be, you can go on my website. You can schedule time to meet with me. If you go to the contacts page, then it links you directly to my calendar, and I'm happy to have a quick chat. Thank you very much. Well, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and take us home? All right, I can do that. I'll tell you what, this this ship turned around quickly. Malcolm, when you started off with how exciting taxes were, I just wasn't sure you were going to be able to do it. And I'll tell you what, you guys, <laughs> you did. I mean, Katrina, you brought so much amazing information. Um, you know, I'm not in that situation of working overseas, but uh, I know that I better figure things out if I ever get that offer. So thank you so much for being here. Malcolm, of course, thank you for bringing her on the show. And of course, last thank you goes to you, listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you just a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Crowdmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation.
This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...